1: It is indeed NBA Sound System Live. It's Carlin Gay. It's Scott Rafferty. And we are smack down in the middle of the NBA final game or game four and game three. Uh, we saw game three that made it a series, Scott. We are now moving towards a game four that could make it a memorable finals. Uh, how are you feeling? Uh, I, I'm doing better than Team USA today,
0: Colin. Um, I, I'm feeling good. It's a good time in the, the basketball calendar, I guess you, you can say. We've got the NBA Finals, as you said, going on. We had Olympic qualifies and our exhibition games going on, free agency and draft around the corner. So there's there's a lot happening in the basketball world right
1: now. Yeah, you brought up the Olympic qualifiers. That is the reason why we had such a uh, a break between episodes. I uh my You're job's busy. got in the way. Yeah, my job's gotten yeah. in the way of recording NBA sound system and of going live. Uh, here, 3 p.m. Eastern, uh, noon Pacific, across the NBA global networks. But we're back, and uh, we shouldn't have any interruptions from here until the foreseeable future. As you said, plenty of basketball to talk about, uh, both in the NBA, internationally. The, we have the Olympics coming up soon, so we'll talk about Team USA a little bit later on this program. Further down the line, people forget that we have an NBA draft that's kind of in the background, boiling to, a, to a, I guess, a fever pitch soon, two weeks away from that. And then after that, free agency—that's quietly underneath. Um, very, very few storylines that are uh, surrounding free agency, but that's going to start coming up uh, as we get through the NBA Finals here. So let's let's talk about those NBA Finals, Scott, because we are now in a series two-one in favor of the Phoenix Suns. Uh, the Bucks held home court, winning Game Three in blowout fashion. Giannis Atsokumpo was incredible. Um, and but but so far, you, you know, your thoughts on the first three games. Has it played out the way you expected it to?
0: Mm, that's a that's a good question. I, I was really excited about this series because I was super high on the Suns all season long. I didn't see them making it to the finals, but I thought they were going to be a really good team. Um, and, and the Bucks, you know, we, we've seen them the last few years. Number one ranked team in the Eastern Conference, best defensive team in the league. And, you know, they, they were a different team this season and things kind of broke well for them. And they, they're here now in the finals against the Suns. So I thought it was going to be a super competitive series. But the reality is, had we done this before game one, we probably would have spent the entire show talking about Giannis's knee. And, um, I mean, that was the biggest topic going into the series because we had no idea what kind of condition he'd been. And the reality is, without him, the Suns would probably win pretty handedly. But with him, as we are seeing, this has the makings of a a very competitive series, one that could go either way. Um, But I mean, even saying that, it it is interesting because the Suns kind of looked unstoppable in the first two games of the series. Um, But then in game three, off of another historic game from Giannis, back-to-back 40-10 and games, and he's only the second player in NBA history to do that in the finals, joining Shaquille um, O'Neal, it looks like they're starting to kind of figure things out on both ends of the court, um, whether or not they actually have, I think we will see in game four and that's what's going to make it so interesting because obviously if the Suns go up 3-1, no teams ever come back. i uh, sorry, one team has come back from 3-1 deficit in the finals before. So that's that puts the Bucks in a tricky position. But if the Bucks can win a game Four, going back into game five, having won two in a row, um, I think you've got to feel pretty good about their chances. And again, going back to the honest injury, He looks pretty good and he looks like the best player in the series. And anytime you have that, you know, you have a lot of things going
1: for you interesting you say that because i didn't even like the way he's played i totally forgot that his knee was uh, bent backwards the way it was in that hawks series and it's easy to forget because he's the dude's balling i mean he, he he's looking he's getting comparisons to shack in his prime uh two 40 point games back to back keeping them in the series um he's really flipped the switch and delivered on uh on a level that i don't think many people have been able to uh, really see him um, deliver on. We've been waiting to see him do it on the biggest of stages, and he's doing that right now. But in terms of the series itself, I think it's going the way I expected it to. I uh, I will say because we didn't get a chance to do it on the on the uh, on the show, but I did predict suns in five scott i said suns mm. in five i was very uh and a little bit that of that had to do with the fact that i wasn't sure what Giannis's injury would be like but i also it was me giving more credit to the phoenix suns and the way they kind of blitzed through the playoffs because i i think if once the, if the suns are able to complete this win and complete get the next two wins and win the series i think we'll look back on this playoff run and this season as a whole and kind of be like, we underestimated them throughout. I know a lot of people were saying, you know, this is a good team in the regular season, uh, you know, yada, yada, yada. But they finished second in the league in terms of record. Um, they walked through the Lakers. Yes, the Lakers were hurt, but they still walked through them. They walked through the the uh, the Nuggets and, and were able to get past the Clippers. Granted, injuries had something to do with with two of those – actually, all three of those series because Jamal Murray was out for the Denver Nuggets. But the bottom line is you could only play who's in front of you. And they got they got those series done in short order. Like, it, it, you know, they didn't have to go to a game seven. They didn't have to force themselves to, to play extra games that they probably shouldn't have. I think the teams that they played, Lakers and the Clippers, got the wins that – they, they could have the, the best amount of wins that they could have gotten in those circumstances given the, the roster that they had and the Suns really you know, demolished them and, and uh, winning games on the road was a big part of that not only in the playoffs but in the regular season. They were a great road team in the regular season. So I, I, uh, I said five because I do think that they're going to go to Milwaukee and take one. They have to take game four if my prediction is going to hold true um, and I do think that they have an opportunity to do that now. Giannis has been incredible. I wasn't. I wasn't expecting him to be this. Uh, he, he's turned into something um, of a of a, a Jordan slash Shaq mix in mm-hmm. in this uh, in this series in the last two games at least. And he wasn't bad in Game One either, um, considering the fact that he you know is his first game back off of uh, the injury. Um, but it seems like he's put that out of his head mentally. Uh, credit to him. And also, I feel like he's sort of silencing some of the critics that, you know, said that he couldn't be, um, you know, the, the the as dominant as he was in the regular season in the playoffs. Me included. I'm putting my hand up, Scott. You can't see me. But me included. My hands up. I, I am very, very surprised by the way he's been able to dominate these games and not only just dominate the games. Because he, he's had series where he's put up big numbers before. But that I felt like that was designed by the other team, the other team saying, you know what, if we can't stop him, so let him go crazy and we'll make sure that we stop everyone else. I think the Miami Heat did that in the bubble. Uh, That was a prime example for me that comes off the top of my head. I I think he's been able to figure out a way to dominate, but also keep his team involved. And, uh, you know, Bud's not going to get credit for any uh, adjustments that he's made. Uh, he, he can make a thousand adjustments from now until you know the end of the series. No one's going to give him credit for that unless they win. But uh, he's made enough adjustments with Giannis taking the ball over his hand. And then Giannis himself has made some adjustments throughout these playoffs that I've been waiting for him to make all for the last two years. And that's just being more patient. He still can play with that bull in China shop mentality. But when's the last time you saw Giannis draw an offensive foul? You know, that used to be like uh, once a game, you know, leading him into foul trouble and all these other Mm. things. We haven't seen that in in these finals. Uh, He's been very patient. And, of course, if he makes the free throws, you know, we'll we'll throw a parade for him uh, like he did in game three. But it's the patience for me. It's the adjustments that Bud's made. But Giannis really is silencing the critics, me included.
0: Well, the, the interesting thing about Giannis, too, is I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast before, but we've talked about it off-air before in that prior to these playoffs, it was kind of hard to think in your mind of like a signature Giannis game in the playoffs. And like you said, that is not to say he hasn't had big games in the playoffs, but it was hard to remember a time where, you know, the Bucks needed to win a game, he needed to have a big one, and he just put his stamp on it from start to finish. Um, and it felt like that game seven against the Nets was like that first signature Giannis game. And then obviously he goes down with that injury in that Hulk series, has a quiet game one in the NBA Finals by his standards. And then in games two or three, he goes back to back 40 and 10 games and just looks like the most dominant player in the league. And like you said, I, I think I, I, wrote, I wrote a big piece after Game 3 about kind of how he's been dominating this series and looking at some of the numbers and basically top to bottom, like they they'll like jaw-dropping numbers that he's posting. Um, against against DeAndre Ayden as his primary defender, according to the matchup data, he scored 28 points on 11 for 25 shooting. So that, that kind of points to Aiden, Aiden doing a pretty good job on him. Here's a crazy one. Against everyone else on the Suns, he scored 75 points on 24 for 31 shooting from the field. And going through the tape, like... Aiden has done a pretty good job, but one of the things that Aiden has going for him is that he's been able to encourage Giannis to settle for some jumpers here and there, both from three-point range and mid-range. And as we've seen throughout that net series and, and throughout these playoffs, really, that's a shot that defense is just going to live with. But basically, anytime time Giannis gets someone else on him, whether it's Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, he's been so aggressive about, like you said, picking and choosing his moments, but punishing them with his size, whether it's putting his back to the basket, overwhelming them with his size, little duck ins underneath the basket, um, even attacking the offensive glass. Like th- there are so many times when not only he gets out in transition and beats DeAndre Ayton down the court, but he gets up the court quicker than he does, which forces a Devin Booker to switch onto him, and he immediately attacks the offensive glass. Like it, it really does feel like kind of all the fi- all the pieces are coming together for Giannis, and he's realized what he needs to do to be at his best. Um, and, and as we're seeing in these last two games when he does that I mean there's theres it, it feels like there's nothing that can really be done to slow him down so he he's been absolutely incredible obviously the job is not done it's only three games the suns lead up two one. But, I mean, he's he's position, positioning himself for finals MVP, regardless of the outcome if this series goes pretty far. And, obviously, he is the reason that the Bucs got that win, the main reason that the Bucs got that win in Game 3. And he's going to be the reason that they do win this series if that's how it kind of plays out. So, um, yeah, he, he silenced a lot of his haters, I feel like, uh,
1: throughout this playoff run and, and particularly in these finals so far. No question about it. You know, you know I, I'm a huge boxing fan. And this reminds me of... Uh, you know, a, a, a potential. Well, there's going to be a potential third fight. Um, it was just postponed. But Tyson Fury and and Deontay Wilder had an incredible first fight. Um, I know you're not a huge boxing fan, but uh, just for the for the small minority out there that are you know boxing fans, will will remember this. It was a big fight, Scott, a huge fight. Tyson Fury, uh, Deontay Wilder. Deontay Wilder's a big knockout guy. He, he's sort of in the mold of uh, the, the boxing version of Giannis, where people say that he only has one, he's a one-trick pony and everything else. But it, it, what happened in that fight was Wilder was getting beat for the majority of it and then finally unlocked this, this knockout power in the final round, the 12th round, and Tyson Fury somehow, by miracle, beat the 10 count, was able to get up and finish the fight. And that led to a draw. But what was important for Tyson Fury, knowing uh, that, first of all, getting up was was huge because it continued the fight. But in that 12th round, he had to fight with his back against the wall. And he smothered Deontay Wilder. And he figured out in that 12th round uh, a way to beat Deontay Wilder. So he went 11 rounds without figuring out how to do it. And, and it took him getting knocked on his butt and getting back up. And fighting with his back against the wall to figure out how to do it to this guy and later on they had a rematch tyson fury absolutely wipes the floor with deontay wilder and it was after that fight or or leading into that fight that tyson fury said that he knew he was going to beat deontay wilder when he got up in that 11 in that 12th round rather and, and and figured out a game plan to really attack uh deontay wilder and i feel like the the, the Bucks and Giannis, Giannis specifically, has figured out how to attack the Phoenix Suns after getting blown out in, not not really blown out, but after getting beat up in game two for the entire first half. Uh, because they went to the locker room with all, you know, the, the Suns had all the momentum. It was 56-45 at the time. And Giannis came out of the locker room and, and found some success early in that quarter by just doing all those things that you spoke about, the little energy plays. And since then... He hasn't stopped. He finished that that second half with 30 points. Obviously, a uh, you know a game a game high of uh, a four to two on the night, and it was an incredible for- performance. Even though the Bucks lost, but he carried over that same sort of mentality to Game Three, and it ends up being a blowout win for the Bucks. So the Suns are going to have to figure out a way. I don't think they could stop Giannis at this point. I think they have to figure out a way to try and match what he's bringing to the table and that leads us to uh, to Chris Paul you know Chris Paul's uh, Chris Paul's legacy win or lose um, will obviously be up for debate if he if he wins, the debate will be: Is he a top three point guard of all time? They'll try to put him in, in in his you know proper place. If he loses, he'll be one of the best players to never win a championship, and that debate will rage on. Where do you sit right now, three games into the series, on the way that Chris Paul has played? Has he helped his legacy or hurt it?
0: With, with his play so far, I mean, so I think far, he's yeah. he's absolutely helped it. I think in Game One, when he scored thirty two points. He just had complete control over that game, and I, I wrote about it after the game, and he kind of went into Houston Rockets mode because prior to joining the Rockets, he wasn't a very ISO heavy kind of player, but in Houston, that completely changed under Mike D'Antoni, and then in game one of the finals, that's when they just switched, the Bucks switched absolutely everything, and no matter who they threw at him, Chris Paul just, just torched them, so I think at that point, that was it that, though that was kind of you know it felt like he was ready for the moment in his first nba finals game two was obviously the booker game booker kind of put his stamp on that game and led the suns to victory and chris paul was a little quieter but i do think he had moments in that game there was one stretch in the fourth quarter when they went on like a tw- it was like a 12 two run to kind of take control of the game and chris paul i think during that that stretch had three assists um, and he still finished the game with 23 points, eight assists. But um, it, it, it's just it's one it's those kind of the, those kind of moments when the, the game feels like it's in balance. He kind of calms things down and makes the right plays. Um, obviously, game three there's not much to take away from that on the Suns side. Um, I mean, Devin Booker had his worst game of the playoffs so far. Chris Paul was fine, but it just wasn't that great of a game for the Suns in general. So I think through three games, Chris Paul has been pretty good for the Suns and done what he is needed to do. But I mean, we talk about legacies all the time, and and one guy kind of in in a similar situation anyway as as Chris Paul that I keep going back to is Dirk Dirk Nowitzki, and thinking about when he won that championship with the Mavs, kind of how that shaped his legacy moving forward, and it, and it was a different stage of his career and a different time and a different road to the finals and everything like that, but I I, I do kind of think. No matter what, how, like, even if Chris Paul doesn't play well these last two games, um, and the Suns won for, for win, for example, it's going to help his legacy that he wins a championship. But I do think kind of if he steps up and has like a Finals MVP run and leads the Suns to to victory, obviously that's going to help his legacy more. Um, because, like you said, he's already one of the greatest point guards of all time. But I think a Finals MVP, a championship, depending on the way that he does it, and really this whole playoffs, he's been. Um, pretty great for the Suns. I know that first round against the Lakers was a little rough when he was battling that shoulder injury, but he was incredible in the second round against against the Nuggets, um, and then against the Clippers in the conference finals. Had a few rough games after coming back from the health and safety protocols, but he he closed that series out with an all time performance in that game six. So it has been a pretty special run to this point for Chris Paul. And um, yeah, I mean for his legacy sake, I'm I'm not gonna sit here and say you know him winning would move him ahead of. This player and that player i think you're probably better equipped to talk about that than i am but yeah i mean if he wins a championship and depending on how he kind of closes this out if that's how it goes for the suns that would absolutely do do wonders for
1: his legacy yeah look you didn't say anything that i disagree with so i'm not going to talk too much about the legacy thing because we'll we'll be doing that plenty but i what i will say about legacy is in and especially in the finals you start to see and you can go back in in years past and kind of look at it you start to see the weight of it the further the series goes. Uh, meaning, you know, and, and the first thing that we brought it up earlier, the three one, you know, uh, comeback from LeBron and, and the and the uh, and the Cavaliers over the Warriors. That team was seventy three and nine. There was all this, you know, the greatest team of all time talk and everything else. And the further that series went, went along, it, even though they got to three wins, that fourth win was really tough for them to get because it meant so much and it would have meant so much had they were had they been able to get over the line and granted you can make about you know a bunch of excuses as, as you know, why they lost that series but to me the weight of the legacy of beating the greatest team of all time really started to weigh on them you know every shot started to matter a little bit more instead of them just going out there and playing basketball and you saw that ultimately in game seven because no one could score in that game uh, it came down to you know mm-hmm. a few buckets here or there especially late in that fourth quarter and I think that's going to happen to these Phoenix Suns. And I'm going. I'm so interested to see how they come out in game four. Because, yes, they were able to get those first two wins. And getting the first two at home with the crowd as, as crazy as they are, that's the easy part. But if you're Chris Paul and if you're even Devin Booker, because there was, you know, i know a lot of people online have been uh talking about this after the poor performance from devin booker it's easy to, to point the finger at that too you know he's three for 14 from the field they, they, they immediately you see well that's what you get when you, you try to compare him to kobe and there's too much of the kobe conversation happening with devin booker let him win one first all this other stuff but it's it that weighs on you after a while and even though they're they they, they know they're two wins away right they know they're two wins away from having a life-changing moment and with the Bucks going down 0-2, the, the the you know they kind of got to play carefree basketball. You know, it, 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 you know it wasn't even though you know I think winning a championship would mean just as much Giannis' legacy as it would Devin Booker, even probably more at this time in his in his career. Giannis going down 0-2 was, okay, well, from here on out now, you know, my back's against the wall. All I could do was play great. You know, I don't have to think about it anymore. I'm going to go to the line and knock down free throws. I don't have to think about it anymore because these aren't meaningful, you know, uh, you know moments with weight on them. I could just go out and play freely. And the rest of the Bucks, you kind of felt that. Playing at home, they were free. You know, holiday shots start falling finally. Middleton still hasn't really found the touch, but I think it will come. But you start to see them play a little bit more carefully. Free. And and you start to see the Suns think a little bit more versus just going out and playing basketball the way they had in games one and two. And I think that's where the legacy comes in for both these teams is, you know, as long, the longer the series goes, the tighter these games are going to get, uh, you know, shooting is going to drop, you know, field goal percentages are going to drop because guys are thinking more. And I really want to see how that affects a guy like Chris Paul, who knows that, you know, he waited so long to get a shot and now this may be his only shot. And every time he's on the floor now, it, it, it really—he has control of his own destiny. And you know, if shots aren't falling the way he wants it to fall, and he's shot great in the playoffs so far, the shots aren't falling the way he wanted it to fall. Um, you know, things kind of look a little bit different because I saw him make a couple, he had four turnovers in game three. Mm-hmm. Some of those passes were not Chris Paul passes. Some of them were trying to make something happen, like forcing something to happen that wasn't there. And that's very uncharacteristic of the Suns and Chris Paul. And I-, I chalk it down, you know, chalk it up to the fact that you're starting to think a little bit more about it. Like, oh man, I'm on the other side of this dude that's, you know, going for 40 points in back to back games. I can feel the weight on me now. I can feel it a bit. I, I and and like I said, you see it in every single final series, and I could go back just in recent history. Uh, you know, it, it, but but it takes a great great player to overcome that. The Raptors sort of had that, you know, going through their playoff run. The only thing that overcame that was Kawhi Leonard because he's he had done that before. You know, that you needed someone like that that had been there before. And I wonder if the Suns, who none of them had played a finals game until you know, other than Drake Crowder, until until now. I don't know how, uh, you know, Jake is not the guy that's going to overcome that, right? It's going to have to be Chris Paul or Devin Booker. And we see on the other side, Giannis being the guy that's like, okay, I've failed so many times, but I'm I'm here now and I'm in the zone. I'm going to carry my team. I don't know if the Phoenix Suns, or I want to see in game four if the Phoenix Suns have that guy, whether it's Chris Paul or Devin Booker to respond to Giannis.
0: Well, the interesting thing is that the the Suns have kind of answered those questions in each of the previous rounds, right? Because that that first round against the Lakers, it was Game Six. Devin Booker went off for forty seven points and eleven
1: rebounds, a historic mm-hmm. performance. And he had a big Game Four too. Game Four or two as well. Yeah, to and, then, that, and then and then tie that series up.
0: And then game four against the the nuggets in the second round to end that series chris paul goes off for 37 points on 14 for 19 shooting and it was just an absolute chris paul clinic and then that game six against the clippers in the previous round chris paul goes off for 41 points and i think that was a huge moment for him as well right because he'd never been to the finals before and that kind of felt like to your point um, the Clippers went on a run. It looked at a state, a point of the game where it, it could have kind of gone either way. And Chris Paul just said, nope, this is my time. I'm taking this game over and led them to victory. So it... it it will be very interesting to see, um, you know, if the Bucks can apply sort of a similar amount of pressure in Game 4 on the Suns, going back into Phoenix, tied at 2-2, kind of how the rest of this series plays out. Because, I mean, I, th- I think the Bucs could absolutely do it. They proved in Game 2 they made things more interesting than they probably should have been. Game 3, obviously, they blow them out. So um it as i said at the top it kind of looked like the suns were sort of unbeatable at least through one and a half games of this series but it's 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 always interesting how quickly things can change and that's just the reality right there's only seven games and it feels like every game you learn something new about a team but um Mm -hmm. i go back to that like bucks raptors series in 2019 in the eastern conference finals you know bucks up 2-0 game three goes into what was it just one overtime or double overtime and i remember at the time thinking like the, that like good for the Raptors to to at least get one, um, and by no means I, I I didn't think they kind of the 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 switch had been flipped at that point and they were going to run away and win three straight to advance to the finals. So it, it is just it's it's always you know a good reminder of how
1: quickly things can change in,
0: in any series, but but really especially in the finals.
1: Yeah, it uh, and, and by the way, it wasn't like they blew the team out in overtime either. It went to double overtime, and That's what they, it was. yeah double overtime and they won by six. And uh, (laughs) there was only nine points scored in overtime by the Bucks, 15 by the Raptors. In that second overtime period, they, they, they only scored seven points. Each in that first overtime period So there was, again, and that's a lot of nerves A lot of nervousness in that arena And sometimes it helps you with the crowd And sometimes it hurts you with the crowd That's the other thing that I'm going to be interested to see This Milwaukee crowd has been incredible Outside the Deer District or whatever it's called Uh, You know, an awesome scene Really, 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 really Nice to see Milwaukee sports uh, And Milwaukee basketball get that sort of shine Um, You know, not a lot of people uh, Understand that these fans are really passionate About their team, you know, passionate about the franchise and the direction it's going in but they also know that you know the last two years this franchise has run into you know a little bit of a start and stop with first of all coming up with the raptors they go up 2-0 and then lose in four straight and you know the the, the heat sweep them out of the bubble so you look at uh, or it was a general sweep or the sweep general sweep out of the bubble you look at this Milwaukee team, and I think if you're a Milwaukee fan, you, you get nervous if you see Chris Paul and Devin Booker having one of those moments, and maybe that nervous energy leaks onto the floor, leaks onto the players. I'm always cur- curious to see how you know fans help and hurt teams in big moments, because uh, we saw it in Philadelphia with the, heat, with the Hawks. In that Game 7, I think if Philly plays that Game 7 in Atlanta, they might win the series, but when things weren't going right, In Philadelphia, as hot as the crowd got, they also got very nervous, and you can feel that nervous tension, nervous energy, and that helps the road team a lot. Um, So I'm interested to see whether or not the Bucks uh, fans can help them overcome any sort of turbulence that may happen in Game Four. Game Four is going to be great. It's going to be great. Goes down uh, Wednesday, Wednesday night on ABC. Um, I'm so excited. Do you have a prediction for that?
0: Oh, you put me on the spot. You know I don't like to make predictions. I, I think I, I kind of lean towards Bucks. I, I do think they've they've figured some things out defensively. Yeah. I'm not worried about this team. Like they've been pretty pretty spot on all playoffs outside of that game one against the Suns. Which even then, I think some of the decisions they make you can kind of talk yourself into. But defensively, I think they've been they've been awesome. And really, the biggest question for them is offensively. And it's not Giannis at this point. It's kind of you know is, is Drew Holiday gonna make those two or three wide open threes? Um, is Chris Middleton gonna hit? You know, a couple mid-range shots and hit a floater at key points in the game when teams are loading up on Giannis. So offensively, if they can kind of get that 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 second guy going, um, even a third guy going, I think that'll go a huge way for the Bucks. Um, and I'm also very curious to see how the Suns do defend Giannis after those two games that he had in Game Two and Game Three, but. I, I don't know. I feel like the Bucs might have something. I also picked this series to go into six games. So the Suns in six. So I, I think Bucks win the next one and maybe the Suns take the two after that
1: winner of game four for me wins the championship period. OK, I, I think if, if the Bucks are able to get back in the series, even it up and head to Phoenix and put the pressure on them to deliver in game five. I think Giannis has figured it out. I think, you know, Middleton and and Holiday by that point would have finally gotten out of their slump. And I think the other guys, you know, Pat Pat Connington is quietly having a nice little series. Um, You know, Lopez in this this short amount of time is having a, you know, enough of an impact to keep him on the floor. And then Bobby Portis, you know, he's obviously going to play better at home than he is on the road. But if he can pack that, you know, energy up and bring it on the road with him. That's going to be a scary proposition in Game 5 because you don't need, you know, a guy like that really triggering the rest of the team to get going. Um, I think if the Bucs win Game 4, they win a championship. Obviously, if the Suns go up 3-1, it's it's, it's curtains for, uh, for the Bucs. So uh, that's the amount of importance I'm putting on Game 4 uh, coming up. Um, all right, let's get to Team USA because uh, they their they're, they're first two, let, let, let's be clear, their first two pre-Olympic tournament games. okay this is not the olympics folks pre-olympic tournament games haven't gone their way they lose to nigeria a really good nigeria squad by the way with a lot of talent there um by three and then they lose to australia handily australia took care of them um just yesterday at the time of uh speaking now and there seems to be a lot of panic amongst fans um you know amongst Uh, especially NBA fans, I I think more so NBA fans than fans of basketball. And when I say basketball, I'm talking the international game, talking about fans that are a little bit more worldly uh, that don't just only look at the NBA as the be all end all those type of fans sort of know the deal here. Um, From my perspective, Scott, and, you know, I do a lot of international basketball. I call play, uh, you know, play by play for Mm -hmm. FIBA. So I see a lot of international basketball and over the last I've done I've been doing it for almost five years now which is incredible over the last five years what I've noticed going to these tournaments is a the FIBA game is so different from the NBA game um, it is you know yes it's basketball but the game is different there's just small little rule changes mean something um, and just and just force you to play a different style than you're not used to on a daily basis At the end of the day talent is always going to be you know give you an opportunity to rise to the top you still have to have talent but there are strategic things that you can bring to the FIBA game that will keep you in a game longer versus you know playing an nba game where you do some of those things and you'll get run out of the gym and then the other thing is shaving the eight minutes off the extra eight minutes off of the game you know FIBA only plays 10 minute quarters it's a 40 minute game tops uh if there's overtime obviously there's that's that but the 40 minute game Uh, versus the 48-minute game forces you to make in-game adjustments a lot quicker than you're accustomed to in an NBA game. And it also, you know, if you don't have it going in a 40-minute game, guess what? You don't got it going that night. You got to find another way to contribute. So if your shot's not falling in the first quarter, you're probably not going to be falling in the fourth. And if you have it going, you can stay hot a lot longer in those games. So what the, the things that I've noticed calling FIBA is the, 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 the change of the rules the small little differences between the games takes a little while for NBA players to adjust to. But also the short, you know, shortened window in a game. If you make the right adjustments as a coach and, you know, execute that as a team, it keeps you closer to a team that should be on paper a lot more talented than than they are. Um, and than you are, I should say. And though that makes for FI- close games in FIBA. And when you're in a close game, regardless of what sort of basketball you're playing, whether it's college, high school, professional at the YMCA, doesn't matter if you have no chemistry with the team that you're playing with in a close game, it will show up. Big time, and you'll get embarrassed very fast. And that happens a lot at the international level. Uh, I watched Canada kind of crumble in that same sort of scenario. The game was close, and they had a five-point lead in overtime. And they lost to the Czech Republic team that had been together for a very long time. The Czech Republic are now in the Olympics, you know, going to to be uh, participating in the Olympics in a couple weeks. It, it happens a lot. You know, um, if, if you're in a close game and you have no chemistry at any level, it's tough to really, really you know push through and we've seen that now in the last two games team usa doesn't have the chemistry they've only played two games together a lot of these guys are unfamiliar with the fiba game and you know this is what happens when you're when you're when you're going up against you know players on the other side that are treating you like this is this you know their championship this is their game seven in the finals moment you know regardless if it's a pre-tournament game you know, Nigeria wants to beat Team USA. Um, same with you know Australia. Australia is a, a very good team, a team that should medal. They want to beat Team USA because it means a little bit more to them in a pre-tournament qualifying game than, uh, than it does for the Americans. So I'm not pushing the panic button yet. I think Popovich is a good coach. I think there's enough talent there. And I also think that these losses are going to help them because they have time to recover from the little mistakes that they're making now you know for the two weeks that they have to to prepare for this thing but um you know i think it's an eye-opener for for a lot of folks who just focus solely on the nba uh to say hey um you know the rest of the world isn't bad at basketball
0: yeah you're obviously much more qualified to speak on this than i am but i i'm not quite ready to to push the panic button yet it's important to remember 12 man roster. Three of those players aren't even with the team right now in Devin Booker, Chris Middleton, and Drew Holiday. And I think it's safe to say each of them will have a role in the team because it sure would be nice to have someone like Drew Holiday. One of the the best guard defenders in the NBA um, in a matchup against Australia and being able to throw him on a Patty Mills and obviously offensively he takes away something um, when someone else that you'd have in that spot but defensively that would help a ton. And also this really isn't that experienced of a team like it's, it's what it's Kevin Durant, Draymond Green and Kevin Love have Olympic experience before but you look at guys like Damian Lillard, Jason Tatum, Bradley Beal um bio. Bio. this is either their first major tournament i think or even their first olympic run
1: everyone except for, T- for tatum tatum played in the uh, in the world cup in, in 2019 so they go. in china so he's he's another one that does everything but you're right about that absolutely right about that experience does matter in these situations
0: yeah so I, i'm not surprised that it's it's they've gone off to a bit of a slow start especially when you throw in all the stuff that you just said like different rules different ball um the, the length of the game is different like there's so many other the things yeah, exactly. Like, there's, there's so many things like that um, that I think, you know, when, when you do think of this team as not having that much experience on this stage, and even Pop, right? Like, he he didn't take over um, this team long ago as the head coach, so it's kind of a new mm. stage for him as well, or at least a not as familiar stage, I guess I should say. But mm. I, I will say, even with all that in mind, I think one of the things that has really jumped out to me is, like, it, it doesn't seem like teams really fear Team USA anymore, right. or at least... You know, they're they're comfortable playing against them. And you, you think of it like a team like Australia... One thing they have going for them, obviously, is that they've had their core together for for ages now. Like, they've been through all the tournaments together. They've made Olympic runs before. Um, this team is very familiar. But also guys like, like Joe Ingles played on the team that finished with the best record this season. And he's played against Kevin Durant a handful of times. You know what I mean? Like, this isn't, it's not weird for them to be matched up with these players anymore. And I think even the team, obviously Australia has a ton of experience, but I think it's even teams outside of that. Um, it, it's just, you know, everyone, it feels like the rest of the world has caught up. Um, um, and I, I mean that was even clear what back in 2012 when when was it 2020 2012 when Spain and USA had that final that kind of went down to the wire. Um, yeah the margin has not been absolutely massive for a very long time now but it does feel like the rest of the world not only like the top contenders in the world but the rest of the world has also caught up but it will be very interesting to see how kind of team usa responds to this because what it's we're 10 days two weeks now from the olympics so they don't exactly have a a, a big turnaround uh, for when the games really do count towards you know whether they advance or not
1: yeah it's it is uh (laughs) It's going to be fun. I think that that's the that's the one thing that you know people uh, you know and I, and I know my FIBA friends are are very excited about this tournament because uh, there's not a lot of uh, you know um, there's not a gap between uh, America and the rest of the world anymore. Um, by the way, that that uh, that final you were talking about that went down to wire between Spain and, and the U.S. Uh, was oh eight, um, you know. 08. In, okay. In, in, yes, in, was 08, it really? In, uh, yeah, 08 Goodness. in China. So you Goodness. think about that, and at that time, we were looking at the rest of the world, saying, "Hey, the rest of the world has caught up. You know, the rest mm-hmm. of the world is not so far behind." We've had two Olympic cycles from this since then. You know, uh, granted, USA has won the gold medal every single time since then. Uh, Spain, you know, were very close in back-to-back semis, um, you know, in oh eight and two thousand twelve, and then again. Um, you know in the bronze medal game, uh, they, they defeated Australia in uh, in Rio um, And Serbia got to the finals against Team USA and we had we find uh, that that was a mm. little bit of a, a mismatch By the time we got there, but that was a really good US team um, But now you look at the top 15 players in the NBA It's you know, he, he, there's a lot of international talent there. Um, yeah, you know, one of them is going to be in this tournament in Luka Doncic um, You know, he, he's 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 very much he uh, could be you could make an argument that he's the best player in this tournament you know, when's the last time that's happened at an Olympic Games where you say the bet, you know, the best player uh, on the floor in an Olympic Games is not American? Um, wait, 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 wait! I look. It's I lo- between I, him and Kevin Durant. It's between I know, him and Kevin. I, Durant. I, yeah. I love Luca, but I'm I don't saying know if, when you say yeah. bring in the FIBA, the FIBA game now. That's yeah, no, a different that's fair. Game. That's fair. It's a that's different fair. game, and Luca has a lot of experience there. So the gap between Kevin Durant and Luca in an NBA game is clear. Luca and, and Kevin Durant in the FIBA setting, it isn't, it isn't as wide as, as you would think, right? It's not. So I there is arguments to be made that Luca could be the best player heading into this tournament based off of the rules and everything else that goes on in FIBA. Uh, and the experience. You have to give him the edge and in experience in, in, in being able to flip the switch and go back and play in a FIBA setting. NBA, I, I give you, you know, Kevin Durant all day. You know, it's not even a debate. But this is different. This is very, very different. So, and that's the thing that people have to realize. You know, we're heading into a a twelve team tournament where you really only allowed one loss, and that loss better come in the first three games. Because if that loss comes anytime after those three games, you're going home. So it, it is, you know, the margin for error in these tournaments is very slim, and the talent gap in these tournaments um, it just isn't there. You know, the one team that I think has no shot at winning the gold medal or even meddling is Iran. You know, outside of that, you're going to get um, you know, a good game out of 11 of the 12 teams there. And maybe Japan. I don't think Japan has a shot of meddling either. But, you know, we saw what Nigeria did, um, and they're probably one of the lowest ranked teams going. Uh, the Czech Republic is very, very tough. I've now been lucky enough to see them at, you know, two tournaments overachieve, and now they're in the Olympic Games. Germany is going to be tough if they're able to add Schroeder. Um, you know, Italy's going to be tough if they're able to add Gallinari. Uh, so it's. And then you have slovenia and, and you know the, the powerhouse is france and, and spain and australia argentina so it is it's not just like i said 12 10 teams there have a legit shot of meddling and i don't think that that was the case you know you know four olympic cycles ago i think people were just kind of showing up and hoping that they get an autograph from someone that's wearing a team usa jersey where nowadays uh these guys as you said they play them in the nba but also the, for the guys that don't play in the NBA, they see this as an opportunity to maybe even make the NBA. You yeah. saw what Caleb Agata did from Nigeria. This dude is, you know, one of the most talked about players in in Canada now. Um, he's, a, he's a Canadian Nigerian and, and now has a legit shot of maybe, you know, making that Nuggets roster after, you know, just signing a, a throwaway sort of summer league spot. So it is... Uh, it is an opportunity for some, and it's for others. It's kind of just another day at the office. So you don't have that mental edge anymore. And in fact, you could probably argue that some of the opponents might have that mental edge on Team USA because they know the FIBA game a lot better than some of the Americans do. But it's funny you- all that being said, I still don't con- don't panic. This this team's still going to be <laughs> fine. I I still expect them to bring home the gold medal, but it, it is going to be tough. It's it's
0: funny you said that. By the way, someone else that that made me think of is like Dante Exum, right? He he's dealt yeah. with injuries. His NBA career has not exactly gone as planned, but you know, here's an opportunity for him to play a key role on Australia against some players that he's played against before. And you, I I absolutely think that he's going to try and make the most of this opportunity, and maybe it ends in another NBA contract for him and a chance to kind of prove himself again. So you're right. Every team seems like has those players at this point, but I I do think your point too, about, like, you, you do look at the best teams in the NBA now. A lot of them are international. Like, the, the last three MVPs have been international, right? It was Giannis, yep. Tunero and then Jokic. Um, and every year, multiple times a year, we do our list of the best players in the NBA. All our NBA.com staff kind of joins in and gives their rankings. And, yeah, you look at it, the top 20 players in the league, like, there's a lot of international players there. And you remove those players from the list as well as guys like, obviously, LeBron's not playing for Team USA, Anthony Davis. Um, Kawhi, Steph Curry, Harden. With those guys eliminated, you know, there's only a couple players in the top 10 who are playing for Team USA right now, um, which is Kevin Durant and Damian Lillard So it, it, it does make things very interesting.
1: Yeah, it, it really does. Uh, I am so excited for the Olympic Games, um, so excited for game four, of the finals. And I'm also so excited, Scott, about the WNBA All Star Game. Um, we, we're, 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 you know, it's last but not least. But uh, you know, the, this is a, a game that should be ultra competitive. Um, we just talked about the West national team on the on the men's side. We'll get a chance to see uh, the women's version of that um, take on WNBA All Stars, and it should be a really competitive game because there's a lot of players <laughs> on that uh, WNBA All Star team that probably believe that they should be on the uh, olympic team and definitely are going to want to show out and then there's some international flavor too uh that aren't participating at the olympic games that are going to try and bring it to that uh that that team usa team so that goes down tomorrow that's uh I, I encourage everyone to watch if you haven't seen the WNBA game all year long this would be the time to do it. it's on espn it's at 7 p.m eastern um which is uh you know 4 p.m pacific so you know Definitely find yourself in front of a TV, and it's a good little pregame before uh, before we get Game Four of the uh, NBA Finals. Normally, I wouldn't, you know, I hate All Star games more than the uh, most. <laughs> I, I can't stand them. I love All Star Weekend and everything that comes with it. I'm not a big fan of the All Star game because I always feel like it's it's super uncompetitive and no one cares about them. But uh, I really feel like this is going to be fun, and people are going to be trying in this uh, in this WNBA All Star game, um, which goes on Wednesday at 7 p.m. on ESPN. So uh, tune into that. We and make sure you you know tune in to us next week here every Tuesday we're back um, no more interruptions Scott we should be we should be okay for uh for for a while now um, and there's gonna be plenty to talk about by by this time uh, next week we might have an NBA champion we might have an NBA champion um, game three sorry game four is on Wednesday game five is on Saturday. And then we could be talking to you with an NBA champion in mind, or or at least talking about a team on the cusp of winning an NBA champion chip on uh, next Tuesday, um, which should be fun. And then we have the draft not far away, uh, free agency, your favorite time of the year as well, and the Olympics yep. all in between. It should be a fun off-season slot yet, yeah, which is really not even an off-season, but it should be a fun <laughs> <really> next <laughs> month and a half, talking to And then, uh, Hey, Summer League's coming up too, where that's coming back with a vengeance. Oh, man. Um, I don't know where it never we're stops. off. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, doesn't. it never stops. <laughs> it really doesn't. Uh, for Scott Rafferty, I'm Carlin Gay reminding you, if you missed any part of the show, you can get the uh, full episode on uh, NBA Sound System wherever you get your podcasts and search for NBA Sound System. We'll be back next week on the live edition, 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, across the NBA Global Networks. Have yourself a great week, and we'll see you next week.